Hi, my name's Madalena Kay, and I'm the host of the podcast AI and You, produced by Europod in partnership with Podium Podcast, Agence France Press, and Cora Media. In AI and You, we deal with the history of AI and how it is having an impact on our lives. From social relationships to employment, from climate change to wars and security. Is AI changing our world for the better or the worse? Come and check it out for yourself. Subscribe to AI and You wherever you listen to podcasts. I do recall that he actually tried to suffocate me and he obviously I had broken fingers as well uh, my right hand my fingers on my right hand were broken I guess because I'm dark skinned and it was at night so you wouldn't have seen the bruises because the report actually says that there're no visible marks so then if there're no visible marks it means that everyone just moves on and that's it it's probably just considered as you know just um a, a conflict is the word that they all just use conflict this is charlotte Charlotte is a mother, a business analyst, and the founder of a women's charity. She has also been surviving domestic abuse for the past 14 years. Because of the story she's going to tell us, we've changed Charlotte's name. Charlotte sticks to the present tense surviving because she says this kind of abuse doesn't end. Although she left the perpetrator over a decade ago, he has still been managing to harass, intimidate and abuse her using one of the most contentious parts of the UK's legal system, the family courts. Like many women, Charlotte has been forced to fight her abuser in the family courts, and it's a fight that has cost her a lot. It has put her job at risk, taken her money, re-traumatized her, and it has at times taken away from her ability to care for her child. This kind of abuse is called post-separation abuse, and it affects millions of people in the UK every year. But the scale and impact of it is not yet fully recognized. It's a problem that's largely ignored by public services, public funding, and legal regulators. This is Europe Talks Back, a podcast that uncovers impactful stories from across the continent. My name is Julie Simond. For today's episode, we're going to the UK to hear about one woman's fight to leave her abuser and the institution that kept her a prisoner. I left the perpetrator in 2009 when my daughter was 4 months old and I was 22 years old. Charlotte was very young when she found herself in an abusive relationship. At age 22, she was living with her ex-partner and their newborn baby in a small town in southern England. She had virtually no qualifications and had left school at the age of 16. When she finally found a job that would take her, it was working late nights in a bar. She had to drop the baby off at her friend's house and pick her up again in the early hours of the morning. Although he said she had to work, her ex-partner wouldn't look after the baby. At this time, he was physically, emotionally, and financially abusing her. Eventually, my friend did say, look, something is going on here. It, it's not normal how you're living. And there was a point where she just phoned while I was um, getting ready to go to work. And 
he had physically attacked me then and she called the police and that was the last time we ever lived with him and at this time my daughter was four months old and the police arrested him but sadly again you don't recognize that as abuse so you don't want to press any charges and you think that when you leave it stops there and you also feel bad um, that you could be getting someone else into trouble, but you don't realise that actually what's happening to you should not be happening. Um, so you don't realise that there's something wrong. And that's how we ended up leaving when she was four months old, um, which obviously didn't stop there because then it then turned into what's now known as post-separation abuse. The fact that the police even arrested Charlotte's abuser is a rarity in the UK. Less than one in four domestic abuse cases are reported to the police. Of those that are, only one in three end up in an arrest. Even fewer result in a charge or prosecution. Although Charlotte didn't want to press charges, the police can still step in if they feel her abuser is a threat to her or the general public. They're supposed to be trained to spot the signs of an abusive relationship so that they can protect someone like Charlotte by pressing charges themselves and removing the threat of repeated offense. But in Charlotte's case, as in many others, they didn't. They didn't even write down that her fingers were broken and that he had tried to suffocate her. Charlotte found this out years later when she requested the police records of the incident to prove that her perpetrator had a history of abusing her. My fingers were broken. No one said anything. All they said was just go somewhere safe. And that was it. So I think this is why we, uh, a lot of us then, just carry on and take responsibility for what someone else has done to us. Because um, when people that are supposed to protect you, when they just turn a blind eye and they don't stand up to the perpetrator, and which then means that if you don't do that, they'll carry on. And this is what's happened to us. Charlotte did manage to leave her abuser. She took her daughter and they stayed with family. But as she explains, Charlotte couldn't cut all ties with him. She didn't have any money, she didn't have any qualifications, and she had a newborn baby to look after. She needed help from the child's father. I was not earning enough. It meant that sometimes I would have to speak to him and ask him to help. And then also living with my mum as well. And then you have a child, you feel like a burden. So it felt like I was back to where I was before. You're embarrassed as well and you feel like you're, um, you're putting your family to shame. So I felt like I had no choice but to try and better myself. After working hard, Charlotte got her qualifications, a degree, and then a well-paid job that would let her take care of her daughter without needing to ask for money or favors from her abuser. But before that, she really needed his help. There was also another aspect to Charlotte's decision not to cut ties with her abuser. She didn't want to choose for her daughter not to have a father. She wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt. After we left, for a few years, we used to invite him into our home. So even after uh, he attacked me, and we used to invite him into my mum's home and he would eat with us. But then I found that the times where we would ask him to help with childcare, he would not do it. And so I found a job and he wouldn't turn up sometimes if I had to go to work uh, or he would say, or he just wouldn't respond if you asked for help. And then last minute he'll turn up or last minute he would say, oh, I can't make it, which meant having to call into work 
sick or whatever you have to do. And that's putting your job at risk. So, you know, you get fed up. So I got fed up and uh, we just stopped all contact. And I think at this point, she was probably about two or three. It was time for Charlotte to break contact with her abuser. She was exhausted from years of being manipulated, of having to see the man who broke her fingers, of having to play along in his games. She didn't want anything to do with him anymore. It was finally a decision she thought she could make. Maybe a year or so later, that's when I just received all this paperwork from the family courts. After finally cutting out the man who tried to suffocate her, Charlotte was shocked. He had found another way to harass her. This time, using the last thing at his disposal. Well-paid lawyers and the family justice system. Her abuser was taking her to court. All this paperwork started coming through and I just didn't engage because I just didn't understand how anyone could do that when they when they're the ones that were treating you when everyone else really bad and not wanted to help you and you've managed to you know move on and rebuild your life so the more I ignored this paperwork it just didn't go away and I started to receive letters from a probation officer At this point in Charlotte's story, it's 2014. Around this time, family law changed in the UK, making it extremely hard to stop contact between a parent and their child, even if there's a documented pattern of abuse. So he just pretty much started to exhaust all these things that were available to him. So every time they said there was a hearing, I would send them an email saying, I have to go to work. If I don't go to work, I won't get paid. And they just carried on. He would keep making applications. The new laws also made it an offence not to attend family court. If a parent like Charlotte didn't attend, they could be made to do community service or even be sent to prison. So I think it was a probation officer uh, that that was contacting me to do community service. And I remember emailing them and saying, look, I haven't done anything, so why should I do community service? Um, That didn't go away. He went back again. In the end, Charlotte's abuser went to the High Court, which is the highest court for civil, that's non-criminal, cases in the UK. She was told she would have to attend the next day with a legal representative which meant she had to find a thousand pounds in less than 24 hours. Not only could Charlotte face a prison sentence if she didn't go, but her abuser had taken their daughter from school without consent from her or a judge, and if she didn't attend court, she wouldn't get her back. I managed to get her back home, but I still had to go back to court. And this time the application was for me to be sent to prison which was really annoying because your life is being disrupted by someone who just finds all of this funny. And then you also have a solicitor who's enabling this abusive behaviour because they're being paid for that. Charlotte hadn't pressed charges when her abuser was arrested. Now, after he had refused to play a proper role in their lives for years, he was trying to get her sent to prison for not showing up to meet him in court. Charlotte was embarrassed and devastated. She also, understandably, found the experience traumatic. That was a really horrible experience where uh, the judge made me stand up, walk past the perpetrator and sit in a corner and whilst the judge addressed me and made me feel like a child and 
was telling me that, you know, if you don't engage anymore, you're going to be sent to prison. This time I'm not going to do that. And yeah, so I then had to just engage because I realised that this was not going to go away and then no one's going to stop. The pro-contact laws that came into place in 2014 make it particularly difficult to block contact from a parent. Charlotte did have some proof of abuse because of the night the perpetrator was arrested, but this wasn't enough for the judge. Even though she went to the police about his abusive behavior multiple times after she left him, they refused to listen, insisting that the incidents were family conflicts to settle in the family courts. This included incidents where he took their daughter from school and withdrew Charlotte's ability to see her without a judge's order. It also includes the time the abuser found out where they lived and showed up unannounced, ringing the doorbell and harassing Charlotte. The problem is, if the police records everything as just a conflict, Charlotte has no detailed history of what happened to show a judge. I reached out to police so many times. We started to hear more about like emotional and psychological abuse. And because I've been journaling since 2016, and I remember there was a time when I went back in like some of these journals and I started to see a pattern of like all this emotional stuff that I had experienced. And I called 111. Hello, my name's Sarah, calling from NHS 111. How can I help today? 111 is a healthcare hotline in the UK that you can call if you have a physical or mental health emergency. When Charlotte was reading through her journals and realised the emotional abuse she was still going through due to the ongoing court cases and the abuse she'd experienced in the past, she called the hotline. I said to them, look, this is how I'm feeding and I've read about this and it says that if this is what you've experienced, um, that's considered abuse. And the person I spoke to said, oh yes, this is definitely abuse. Um, You should go down to police station and speak to someone and take any diaries or whatever you have to be able to show them that this is what's happening. And that person was so helpful and I felt, and you feel really happy. Not only did Charlotte want the abuse to stop, but finally getting a record of the abuse would help her defend herself against the perpetrator's false allegations against her and stop her daughter from being taken away. It would also be a form of recognition that a crime had been committed against her. She'd think, finally, someone someone believes me. And I remember going to the police station and the person was just horrible. And you feel like a criminal and she was just horrible to me. And that was it. I just left it. And obviously things carried on. Um, And the thing about it is that you know what you're experiencing is wrong. But when you explain it to someone who doesn't understand they don't get it. So you then start to doubt yourself. But you know that what's happening to you is not right. Charlotte was never against her daughter seeing her father. After all, in the beginning, she did try. She only wanted the contact to stop until he changed his behavior. This would keep her safe from his abuse and manipulation. But while he initially went to court to get contact rights, this wasn't what her abuser kept taking her back to court for. Even when they had established times when he would see his daughter, he found other ways to bully Charlotte. He made false allegations that she was abusive and manipulative just to stop her seeing her daughter or make her go to court. 
none of these allegations ever had a shred of evidence attached to them. You just have to learn to disengage. So the last time I was in the family court, which I think it was May or June of this year, I just told them that I'm walking away from this. I cannot continue to be brought into this room and I'm speaking and no one's listening. I'm showing evidence, no one's looking at it. And you just continue to enable this person, this perpetrator. And that's the only way you can protect yourself because no one else is ever going to do it. Earlier this year, the British government decided for the first time to run a reporting pilot, allowing a few journalists to access the family courts in England and Wales. If it goes well, it could mean a future of transparency for millions of survivors each year. It could mean that people like Charlotte could talk openly about what has happened to them and end years of silencing. This year is also the year that coercive and controlling behavior that happens after a relationship has ended became a criminal offense. This means that much of the abuse, manipulation, and harassment Charlotte has gone through was actually not a crime in the eyes of the law until now. The question is, will any of this really make a difference? There are already many things that someone like Charlotte has a right to in the UK, legal aid, police protection, the right to keep her child safe from an abusive situation that she hasn't gotten. There are too many problems with funding, police attitudes, and judges that don't care about or don't believe the people in their courts. Charlotte has spent over a decade fighting a thousand battles to live a normal life. She may have to fight a thousand more, but she's a fierce fighter. And now she wants to fight for reform. We've reached the end of this week's episode of Europe Talks Back, a podcast that uncovers impactful stories from across the continent. This show is a part of the Sfera Network project and is available on Europod, a network of podcasts exploring European cultures, politics, and societies. Sophie Smith, a British journalist based in London, is the scriptwriter of this episode. Maria Dios is our producer and editor. Our sound design is by Jeremy Bouquet. My name is Julie Smond. Stay tuned for next week's episode where our producer will interview Sophie to discuss post-separation abuse and the family courts. Bye.